Hey everyone, this is Caleb, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to spend part of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am joined by Frank Turek to talk with him about his recent book, Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. Now, if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner, I want to let you know a couple of things. One, we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations here on the podcast because uh, you're probably like me and knowing that there's some conversations that you can have with some people and there's just other conversations that you the dialogue can't get past the emotion in it or you're constantly arguing with the person and it doesn't feel like they're listening or it could just be for whatever reason it's just hard to have a a conversation with them and here we want to have productive healthy conversations as well to where we can disagree without demonizing the other person as well or dehumanizing the person on the other end as well the second one to this is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone regardless of whether or not we agree with them and the last one is this is that we believe that we can learn from anything and from everything because everything has something to teach us and we are hitting on that last one here today as we look at movies and some of the things that we can uh, take away from them and and today specifically looking at what we can learn about God and you know uh, Frank is a Christian as well and so learning from him of what we can learn about Jesus and faith and engaging with a whole lot of different stories from the Lord of the Rings to Harry Potter, Star Wars, the DC uh, movies, as well as the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Now, a couple things got me interested in this. One, if you've been listening for a while, just the idea around this. I love learning from uh, Marvel in particular. That is my favorite out of all of these. But I love just learning from movies, from books, from all sorts of different things in pop culture and just seeing what are some of the the things that we wrestle with or the questions that we ask that play out in different media as well. And the second one is this, is that, you know, I uh, first came across uh, Frank uh, several years ago whenever um, I read his book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case, which is just a fascinating book and I'll link to it in the show notes as well and really enjoyed it and so uh seeing that he wrote this book i I figured hey it would be a good conversation to have so i do want to let you know though if you uh, have an idea for something that you would love to cover on the podcast would love to hear from you and the best way to reach out to me is learners corner podcast at gmail.com with any suggestions or guests or topics or anything that you think might be fun to cover on the podcast Now, let me tell you a little bit about Frank, and then we will dive in. Dr. Frank Turek is a dynamic speaker and award-winning author of, or co-author of four books, including Stealer from God that I mentioned, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, Correct, Not Politically Correct, and Legislating Morality. As the president of crossexamine.org, Frank presents powerful and entertaining evidence for Christianity at churches, high schools, and at secular college campuses that often began hostile to his message. He has also debated several prominent atheists, including Christopher Hitchens and David Silverman, president of American Atheists. He also co-hosts, or sorry, he hosts an hour-long TV program each week called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and his radio program is called 
cross-examined. He is a widely featured guest in media as a leading apologetics expert and cultural commentator. And he has a master's degree from George Washington University and a doctorate from Southern Evangelical Seminary. Now, without any further wait, let's jump into my conversation with Frank Torek. And he's going to add uh, a little bit of uh, a different experience to it with, uh, well, with some sound effects. So you'll get to hear that as well. So here's my conversation with Frank Turk. Well, Frank, it's so good to have you on the podcast today. Great being with you, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and just as we're getting started, you know, you've uh, co-authored this book, Hollywood Heroes, and anytime that I talk with somebody who's created a work of art, I love hearing the story behind it. And so I would just love uh, to hear from you of what made you want to engage with this idea of superheroes and film and how that intersects with Christianity. Well, my son and I wrote it together because my son's a movie buff, my oldest son, and uh, he is in the Air Force right now but he already has his degree from Southern Evangelical Seminary where I went. He has a degree in uh, philosophy, a master's degree. So he's qualified on the apologetic side as well, the evidence side. And uh, about five years ago, we were just talking about how many of these movies have storylines that are borrowed, it seems, from Christianity and heroes in it that sacrifice themselves to save people, which of course is really what Christianity is all about, that the perfect God man comes to earth and sacrifices himself to save us from our own evil. And so we said it would be great if we could pull together a book that went through the biggest movie franchises of all time and pointed out that even those franchises that weren't written by Christians, even maybe anti-Christians have, have written them, they can't help knowingly or unknowingly uh, they can't help putting Christian themes in their movies. And that's what we point out in the book, Hollywood Heroes, how your favorite movies reveal God. Hmm. I would be curious to hear your other thoughts. You know, obviously, you know, you, you wrote the book about movies. What are other aspects or popular aspects of culture that you see? Hey, this is these are great opportunities for to engage in faith conversations or about Jesus. Well, I think movies are probably the biggest uh, venue or that's not the right word, the biggest sort of cultural uh, commonality that people have, because movies, you might say TV shows, uh, they're, they're seen by a lot of people. And when you have a blockbuster series of movies, probably at least a good plurality, if not a majority of people you talk to will be familiar with them. So if you're talking about Star Wars, or you're talking about uh, Batman or Lord of the Rings or Iron Man or these kind of movies, most people, well, at least a, a, a plurality, if not a majority of people, will know something about them. So you can use that to segue into gospel conversations, much like Paul did on Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. He didn't quote from the scriptures when he was talking to people who didn't know the scriptures. He was quoting their own philosophers back to them and applying that to Christianity, trying to say, well, your own poets say in him and live in him, we live and move and have our being in Zeus. We live and move and have our being. Well, let me tell you, the true Zeus is actually Yahweh in Yahweh. We live and move and have our being. So he's using the movies of his day. Paul is 
in order to segue into the Christian story. And we can do that with movies. We can do it with TV shows. Uh, maybe some very popular books might be, although books are less viewed, unfortunately, now than movies are. So I think movies are still kind of the top cultural commonality that we can discuss with people, uh, elements that point to Christianity. Yeah. What have you learned about engaging in those types of conversations or having this moving the segue from, you know, the the popular movie or whatever it is into those more faith based conversations without making it um, like weird, if that makes sense? Yeah, well, I think what you can do is you can just ask people, why did you like the movie? What was a, an appealing part of the movie to you? What was an appealing part of the character? What was most attractive about Iron Man or Harry Potter or and Christians are going, Harry Potter? What do you mean we can talk about it? Yeah. Or uh, Luke Skywalker or Wonder Woman or Batman or any of these characters. What did they do that was inspiring? And you can, you can just have a conversation on that. Well, why is sacrifice inspiring? Why does everybody, regardless of whether they're atheist, a Christian or anywhere in between, why does everybody regard sacrifice as an ultimate form of love? Why is that? You know, well, it turns out that that's exactly what Christianity promises, that someone has sacrificed for you to save you from your own evil, your own sin. And so I think you can easily segue into conversations like that. Yeah. Can you talk more about what you were referencing with the dynamic that, you know, the Apostle Paul did of referencing, you know, the cultural stories of the moment? Because that's something that I've been thinking about recently of, uh, and, you know, obviously you you were writing about it too. This might be one of our greatest tools of evangelism or engaging yes. people in faith conversations too. Yeah, I think that's it. You can do it. You can take them from where they are now to where you want them to be by some bridge. And what's the bridge? What they already like. You know, we, we tell people, like, for example, if you like Lord of the Rings, you're going to love Jesus, right? Or if, if you like Sam or Frodo, you know, or if you like Harry Potter, even, you're going to love Jesus. Why? Because these characters are actually uh, built on elements of the Christian story, whether you know it or not, whether the movie writers knew it or not. Well, actually, in Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter, they're both written by Christians. Tolkien, a devout Catholic, J.K. Rowling, a Anglican. And if you talk to Rowling, she's going to say, look, I, I basically took this from the Bible. <laughs> she, did. she says that the whole series can be epitomized by two Bible verses. One is uh, where, your, where your heart is, your treasure will be also from the Sermon on the Mount. And the other is the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And uh, those, she said, I never wanted to talk about the biblical references much because they I didn't want to tip our readers off as to where we were going in the story. Yeah. Uh, another story that you reference is you talk about uh, J.R.R. Tolkien and uh, in a conversation that I think, if I remember correctly, he had with C.S. Lewis about the, yeah. the true myth. Can you talk right. about that story? Yeah. Lewis, before he became a Christian, was always enthralled by dying and rising God. Um, uh sacrificial stories. He was always enthralled with those. And uh, the, the, most of those came after Christianity. But when he saw them in, in these fictional accounts, he always was enthralled with it. And Tolkien at one point said to him, you know, Jack, that's what they called him, Jack, C.S. Lewis was called Jack. Jack, uh, why are you so enthralled with these stories about dying and rising gods everywhere? But when you read about it in the New Testament, 
somehow that doesn't enthrall you at all. And he went on to say that the myths that you're reading are just myths. They're not really true. But Christianity is the true myth. Christi Christianity is, is, is the one myth that actually happened in real life, that Jesus did die and rise again. And so that kind of woke Lewis up and he became a Christian. And as you know, probably the most, the most influential apologist of the 20th century did Lewis become. Yeah. What have you seen that, uh, like engaging in these fictional stories allow us to do just in, in general that, uh, that maybe it's a little bit more difficult to do in you know, real life or in, or in nonfiction stories. Well, if you look at Jesus's parables, they're all fiction. If you think about them. Yeah. I mean, if you went to Jesus, if Jesus, if you went back to the first century and uh, Jesus had just told the, the, uh, the good Samaritan parable, if you went to him and said, Hey, uh, Jesus, who, what was the good Samaritan's name? You go, what? <laughs> I mean, this isn't a real story. This is, I'm using, I'm making up a story to, to drive home a theological or moral point. Or, you know, hey, Jesus, who was the younger son that ran off, you know, the prodigal son? What, what was his name? What was the father's name? He'd go, come on. I'm telling stories here. In fact, that's one way he could get away with a lot of what he taught because the people who were against him, particularly the temple authorities uh, and, uh, you know, the Pharisees, he could just say, look, I'm just telling stories here, even though the stories were putting forth true theological and moral points. So Jesus used fiction in order to communicate nonfiction, to com communicate moral and theological truths. Mm -hmm. And so we can do the same. Yeah. Uh, another thing that you talk about in the book is uh, you reference the anecdotal fallacy as well. Mm -hmm. Can can you talk about just that dynamic a little bit? Well, the anecdotal fallacy is just because I haven't seen it, uh, it, 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 it hasn't happened anywhere. Like, for example, when it comes to miracles, uh, I've never seen a miracle, so they've never happened. Well, how much experience do you have about reality, right? I mean, really. Just, for, just because you haven't seen a miracle doesn't mean they haven't occurred. In fact, think about it this way, Caleb. For atheism to be true, materialism to be true, that there are just molecules out there, there's no spiritual realm, there's no supernatural. For that to be true, every single spiritual experience and miracle claim in the history of the world has to be false. Is that possible? Oh, yeah, it's possible. Is it reasonable? No. It's not reasonable to expect that everybody who's ever had a spiritual or miracle experience has been mistaken. That's not, that's not reasonable to believe. So if, if, if anyone is using the anecdotal fallacy today, I think it more, it's probably more atheists and materialists who say, well, since I haven't seen it, you know, it, it couldn't have happened. Well, how do you know? How much experience do you have? And by the way, if miracles did happen all the time, they wouldn't be miracles. Because by definition, a miracle is a rare event that gets our attention. It says, oh, God's doing something special here. I mean, look, if resurrections occurred every day, what would the resurrection of Christ mean to us? Nothing. We'd go, hey, this stuff happens all the time. You know, somebody comes to you and says, oh, Jesus rose from the dead to prove he was God. The guy could say, well, so what? Uncle Leroy just rose from the dead two weeks ago, right? 
Now I got to give the inheritance back. No, it's got to be a rare event if it's going to get our attention. It can't be a regular event. And so atheists are kind of hamstringing themselves by saying, well, since I haven't seen it, it never happened. It's it's too narrow. Uh, the anecdotes, the anecdotal fallacy just rules too much out. Uh, I do want to get into some of the stories that you uh, specifically cover mm-hmm. in there, but I would love to hear, are there any other stories that, you know, fictional stories that have just captured your imagination or your attention recently that have really resonated with you? Well, I mean, we could have, the, we could have looked at other movie franchises beyond what we did. The, the seven that we viewed in the book were Captain America, Iron Man, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Batman, Wonder Woman. We also talked a little bit about Superman in there. I mean, we could have talked more about Spider-Man. He's in there a little bit. We could have talked more about Thor, right? We could have talked Chronicles of Narnia. And we, we could have, we could yeah. have, okay? But we couldn't cover everything. So yeah. maybe Hollywood Heroes book two will come into that, right? So so those are those are more stories that, that could fit in a book like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is there one recently that you've seen that has just resonated with the outside of the book? Well, uh, that isn't in the book. Well, the new yeah. Batman movie at the end, he says something like, people need to know there's somebody out there for them. They have to have hope. Look, there's only two yeah. things you can have in life. You can have either hope or despair. And one of the problems we're seeing in our society today is that people don't have hope because they think the world just ends and we all become worm food and that's it. And, you know, that's, I think, contributing to the rise in suicides, the rise in depression, the rise in mass shootings, the rise in drug use, the rise now in abortion, the rise in, in all these evil things uh, because people don't have hope, they have despair. But it's interesting, the end of the most recent Batman movie was all about hope. Yeah. Somebody needs you need to know there's someone out there for them. Well, there is. Yeah. Jesus. Uh, what's the story inside the book or the, the types of stories or the character that resonates with you the most? For me, out of all the characters, my personal favorite's Iron Man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll tell you why, because I think Iron Man is most like us. Captain America is righteous all the time. He doesn't need any moral development, but his co-part or his his is his co-crime fighter, Iron Man. Well, he starts off as a billionaire, amoral arms dealer who's a playboy, right? Uh, He's got a lot of flaws. You can't imagine him sacrificing himself for anyone, right? It's all about him. Me, 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 right? I mean, he's got all the things that we would think we would want to be happy. Got to have money, got to have power, recognition, and got to have a great girlfriend, right? Sex, money, power are the big three things that we think are going to make us happy. Yet Tony Stark is not happy. He's miserable, in fact. Why? Because he has no purpose. He has no identity. He has everything to live with and nothing to live for. And then one of his own bombs detonates. It puts shrapnel into his chest, and he has to have a device installed in the middle of his chest to protect his heart from encroaching shrapnel. If that device fails, he dies. Now, this is a beautiful illustration, I think, of Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Above all else, don't follow your heart. If you follow your heart, you're going to wind up like Tony Stark. You're going to wind up anxious and full of anxiety and directionless. But if you guard your heart, then you can focus on what's really important and become a, a hero who, spoiler alert, like Iron Man does, he sacrifices himself 
to defeat Thanos at the end of Endgame. So Tony Stark goes on this long character arc from a selfish playboy to a hero who sacrifices himself to save the world at the very end. And the guard your heart motif, I think, is great because in our culture, it's all about following your heart. Well, if you follow your heart, you're not going to wind up where you want to wind up. You need to guard your heart. And that's what Proverbs 423 says. How does that story, you know, you, you mentioned that that's the one that most personally impacts you. Mm-hmm. How does, like, what resonates so strongly with you about that and like in your life? Well, because I think in our culture today, uh, we're told that we've we've got to follow our heart, right? We've got to stream, we've, we've got to swim every river, we've got to climb every mountain, we've got to sail every ocean, right? Don't let anyone tell you that you ought not follow your heart. You need to follow it to the end, to the ends of the earth. Well, that's very bad advice most of the time. Hmm. Uh, because if you do that, you're going to wind up alone. You're going to wind, you're going to blow up every relationship you've ever had. You're probably going to wind up broke. Uh, you're not going to, you're not going to wind up in a good place most of the time. In fact, think about it this way. Uh, in, the, in the movie Endgame, where all the Avengers come around and are about to take on Thanos. And what really happens is Tony Stark, as you know, sacrifices himself to defeat Thanos. But imagine if Tony Stark, instead of that, had said this. Suppose he looked at his Avenger buddies and said, hey guys, I'm not really feeling it today. I don't feel like taking on Thanos. In fact, I really need to get back to following my heart and taking care of just me. I'm out. And then the movie ended. Would anybody go, wow, what a great movie. Wow, that was inspiring. Tony Stark followed his heart. No, they'd go, what a wimp. Man, he checked out. He abandoned his principles. He didn't sacrifice himself. He was just all about himself. He was all about following his heart. Man, that's disappointing, right? And I don't think Christians wrote the Endgame series. I don't think they wrote the Avengers series, but I think even they know that following your heart is not inspiring. What is inspiring is somebody that will follow the truth, someone that will lay down his or her life to save their friends. And that's, of course, what Jesus does. Yeah. Uh, Another thing, and you briefly touched on it earlier is uh, there could be a tendency because of, you know, some of the content in the stories, you know, you referenced Harry Potter uh, to where it's like, Hey, I, I don't think it's good for us to in, engage in this because of, you know, the magical element or mm-hmm. the darkness of it. Um, yeah. And I would just, you talk about that in the book. I would just love uh, your perspective on that. Sure. And I know a lot of parents were upset with uh, Harry Potter because of the magic in it. And look, whatever parents think is appropriate for their kids in this regard, I side with parents. I mean, parents know what their kids are like better than I do, okay? Mm -hmm. However, I will say this. I've noticed that Christian parents in particular have kind of a double standard. They have a real problem with the magic in Harry Potter, but not so much with the magic in Lord of the Rings or Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. I mean, after all, look, Gandalf is a wizard, okay? Just like Harry Potter. Why is Gandalf okay, but Harry Potter not? Uh, And so I think there's a bit of a double standard. Also, if if you notice... That the kind of magic in Harry Potter is not the kind of magic generally that the Bible's talking about. It's not talking about uh, contacting the dead, although there is one scene in Harry Potter where they do and nothing really happens from it. But most of the magic in Harry Potter is, is all made up stuff out of J.K. Rowling's head. 
Like, for example, there's nobody who flies around on broomsticks playing a modified game of soccer like they do in the Harry Potter series, right? Mm -hmm. This is all invented magic. It's not really true. J.K. Rowling doesn't think it's really true. And uh, she says the only reason she put magic in the story is because it, it, it gave kids power that they don't normally have. But she says the center of the story is not magic. The center of the story is human nature. Harry thinks he can solve human nature by waving a wand. She said, no, you can't do that. Whether you have a wand or not, you're not going to fix human nature. And the, the entire story of Harry Potter is really interesting. And we mention in the book, Hollywood Heroes, in the chapter on Harry Potter, we say this, arguably, the character Harry Potter has more in common with Jesus of Nazareth than any character in modern fiction. People go, what? How can that be? Let's just look at four parallels. First of all, Harry Potter is prophesied to be the savior of his world before he's born, and an evil force tries to kill him as an infant. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. Secondly, Harry Potter, in order to save his world, has to live a moral life. Thirdly, he sacrifices himself in order to defeat the Satan figure, Voldemort. And then fourthly, he rises from the dead, and his followers have to put their faith in him in order to ultimately defeat Voldemort. Now, that's the biblical storyline right there, right? Just with different characters. So as I mentioned earlier, Rowling said, look, there's, there's Bible verses in this thing because this is really a, a biblical story. In fact, she says Dumbledore is, is John the Baptist to Harry's Christ. So she, she points all this stuff out. And look, I, it, it, I understand if you, if you don't want your kids watching these kind of movies, for what it, you know, you think, oh, the magic is going to entice them to get involved in this kind of thing. If you think that, okay, then fine, then don't. But at least what you ought to do is you ought to let them know what the storyline is. Because if they have friends that have watched these movies or read the books, you can use this as an evangelism tool. They can use this as an evangelism tool. Oh, you like Harry Potter? You're going to love Jesus. Jesus is the real, true Harry Potter. He's just the perfect Harry Potter in the real world. He sacrifices himself to save the world from evil. I would be curious to hear your thoughts on uh, on the double standard that you were talking about mm -hmm, of like mm -hmm. being okay with magic in the Lord of the Rings or being okay with it in the Chronicles of Nardia um, and not being okay with it in Harry Potter. I'd be just curious to hear any theories that you have of like, why the double standard? Well, on one that? of the theories is, first of all, people are afraid of magic. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but one of the theories is C.S. Lewis was a known entity. You knew where Lewis was coming from. Say, same thing with J.K. Uh, I mean, I mean, same thing with, uh, with, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, right? Yeah. You know, you knew they were Tolkien Catholic and, of course, uh, C.S. Lewis, a famous Protestant. But nobody knew who J.K. Rowling was. And it wasn't published by a Christian press, right? So they may have instinctively said, oh, Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis? Sure, whatever he says is good. Rowling, I mean, uh, uh, Tolkien. Tolkien, yeah, whatever he says is good. Rowling, who's this Rowling lady? We don't even know who she is, right? No. Oh, she got magic. That's got to be bad. She's got to be an occultist of some kind. Yep. Kids can't see it. So it may have been just, just reputation 
that has caused Christians to have a double standard when it comes to these movies. Another thing that I was curious to hear your thoughts on is, uh, you know, in the Lord of the Rings, which which is a, a little bit more of a complex story. Like it's not yes. like Harry mm-hmm. Potter. It's easy to go like, yep, Harry is the Christ figure. Right. Um, and the Lord of the Rings is a little bit more difficult to do that. It is. And I would just love to hear your thoughts on whenever we do run into like more complex stories like that. What has helped you sort through like, hey, this is these are the elements or even um just learning, learning from those more complex stories and looking at the themes. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of times you can read what Tolkien himself revealed in his writings about Lord of the Rings. Also, there are scholars that actually study Lord of the Rings. You can read books and pick up the parallels that they they get out of the story. So just reading other people, reading what Tolkien himself said, and uh, sometimes you just watch it and you can pick stuff out yourself, but a lot of times you're also uh, relying on what others have seen. And so it is a more complex story, Lord of the Rings. In fact, as we point out in the book, Hollywood Heroes, in the chapter on Lord of the Rings, there's no one Christ figure that has all of the characteristics of Christ. Rather, it is the idea that he, Tolkien, that is, has spread attributes of Christ among three major characters— Aragorn, who is the returning king, he's the primary character that has Christ figures. Gandalf as well, although Tolkien describes Gandalf as an angel. And then, of course, Frodo, who's a three-foot hobbit, a weak character. Well, the weakness really is where I think Tolkien's true colors, Christian colors, come through. Because Paul says, when I'm weak, I'm, excuse me, when I'm weak, I am strong. Why does he say that? Because he's forced to depend on God when he's weak. And that's what the hobbits do. Right. Sam and Frodo, they're not going to make it on their own. They got to take advice from Gandalf and from others and got to rely on Aragorn to clear the orcs out of Mordor on their way. I mean, you know, they're going to need help. They can't do it themselves. And so you have elements of Christ across these three characters. And that's the way I think Tolkien decided to do it. In fact, he he pulled out a lot of overt, overt religious references uh, in the final version of Lord of the Rings, because he wanted he wanted it to be more subtle. He didn't want it to be a straight allegory like Chronicles of Narnia was. Mm. So he was being much more subtle. But even then, you can depict, or you can detect, I should say, the Christian themes running throughout the story. Yeah. What's one of the themes in the Lord of the Rings that most resonates with you? I think the weakness theme is really good, uh, because... If you look at the Bible characters, most of them are weak. They all have flaws, right? I mean, Peter, his weaknesses are, I'll never deny you. He winds up denying the Lord three times, right? You know, he's he keeps putting put his foot in his mouth, right? He uh, Matthew's a tax collector. Nobody likes him, but he writes a gospel to the Jews. Mark can't even complete a one missionary journey. Paul's ready to write him off, yet he somehow gets with Peter, writes the gospel of Mark. Um Mary Magdalene, you know, she's a big character in, in the sense that she is one of the first witnesses, but she's weak, right? She's got a checkered past. She's formerly demon-possessed. I mean, God uses the weak, right, mm-hmm. to get things done, and he can still do that today. And the weak are the ones that tend to depend on God. And, you know, when, you, when you're strong, when you think you're strong, that's when you... That's when you don't depend on God. It's one reason Jesus said, blessed are the poor. Why? Because the poor know they need God. He said, it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because when you're rich, you think, I don't need God. I can make it on my own. 
and that's a big mistake. Hmm. I would love to hear who's one of the heroes in DC that most resonates with you. Yeah, the DC there's, well, there's several of them. Uh, of course, Wonder Woman and Batman are two that we have. And of, co of course, Superman is probably the most direct correlation to Jesus among superheroes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, Superman was made basically to be the Jesus figure when it yeah. first came out. Uh, so we cover those three. And I, I mean, I, I like them all. My son, Zach, who co-wrote the book with me, would probably say his favorite is Batman. Yeah. And uh, I think Batman does a really good job uh, of depicting uh, the depravity of human nature. You notice in Batman, first of all, Batman is almost always seen only in the dark. And he's fighting evil in the dark because men love darkness rather than light. That's when the evil comes out. Nothing good happens after midnight, they say, right? Well, that's when Batman is out catching bad guys. But notice Batman can never take a rest. Notice Batman never wins. Notice it's he locks thieves up one night and the next night he's got to do it again. He never can create utopia by locking up bad guys because of human nature. There's always another bad guy he's got to go out and get. And so it starts wearing on him, actually. Batman actually starts to start using tactics that he wouldn't use initially. You know, he starts brutalizing some of the people that he's catching when in the past he never would do that. So it starts to get to him. He becomes a darker character because of the darkness of human nature. So that's very realistic in the Batman series. How about for Star Wars? Yeah, Star Wars is probably my son's favorite because that's what he grew up on. I was 15 when the first movie came out and he was like, maybe 11 when Phantom, Phantom Menace came out. You know, the first movie came out in 1977. So that's mm -hmm. how old I am now. Yeah. And um, we love the Star Wars series, particularly the first three movies. I find your lack of faith disturbing. You know, I wish I could have had that deep voice because I used to say that to the kids all the time, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but we love the Star Wars series. There's so much in the Star Wars series. Obviously, Lucas is not putting forth a Christian view of God. It's more a pantheistic view. But we compare and contrast that in the book Hollywood Heroes. We talk about the redemption stories of both Han Solo and Luke Skywalker or really Darth Vader who re and Luke Skywalker redeems him. Uh, and uh, those are our fun parts of the book. We also have a section in there. Can someone as evil as Darth Vader go to heaven? Can, you know, can bad people go to heaven? And of course our conclusion is this only bad people go to heaven because there are no good people. We all need a savior. And so we cover that in the star Wars series. Yeah. Uh, I know that the book has been out, you know, for, for about a month. Yep. now and I, I know that you've done a lot of conversations in this i would love to hear what's something that people aren't asking you about about the book that you wish that people would be more it, uh, interested in or just ask you about because it's not getting maybe the attention that you wish that it would yeah oh, that's a good question caleb i don't know if i have an answer for that um most people that have read the book at least according to the reviews have liked it mm -hmm. uh there's a couple of people that didn't like it, but they obviously didn't read it. <laughs> when you look at their, <laughs> when you look at their um, Amazon reviews, you know, they give it a one star. It's one review said something like it's wrong to use Spider-Man to preach the gospel. Well, we don't actually, we mentioned Spider-Man like <laughs> twice in the whole book. He doesn't even yeah. have a chapter, right? Yeah. You obviously haven't read the book. Okay. Um, one lady put her pretty negative review up there. You know, I loved, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, but I can't get into this book and I don't want to watch the movies. <laughs> 
well, <laughs> it's a book about movies. Yeah. So I'm sorry, you know, if you don't, if you're not interested in the movies, okay, you're probably not gonna be interested in the book either. Yeah. Uh, so, but other than that, most people have found it very uh, enjoyable and very useful because mm -hmm. as I say, it's easy to talk about movies with people who might not otherwise be interested in Jesus. Why not use something that they're already interested in to get them to realize that the reasons they like these movies are the same reasons they should like Christianity because they want to be taken from this world of pain and suffering to a place of bliss. And someone has to come in and rescue them and do that. Well, that's what Jesus actually does, except when it comes to Jesus, he's, tr he's, he's the, the true myth. It really happened. This is a true story. It's not a fictional story that you're, that you're reading about in the Bible. And, you know, we have some apologetics, obviously in the book, Hollywood heroes. We, we have arguments for God in there, arguments for, the New Testament being reliable, the resurrection really occurred. So all that is in the book, uh, Hollywood Heroes. So if you want a fun way, particularly young people, if you want to get your young people more interested in God and Christianity, why not have movie night, right? And then discuss with them what they saw and the parallels to Christianity. Yeah, that's a great idea. Uh, is there anyone just top of mind heroes wise that uh, that we haven't talked about that you want to make sure that we talk about or cover? Well, probably the most unique hero in the series uh, that we covered is Wonder Woman, because yeah. Wonder Woman doesn't use brute force like the other characters tend to do. Wonder Woman's two superpowers are love and truth. Yeah. She's got the lasso of truth. Oh, yeah. You know? Yep. <laughs> in fact, in the second uh, major movie with her in it uh, that was centered around her was Wonder Woman 1984. And mm -hmm. I, I won't give the whole thing away. But basically, at the end, she doesn't overpower the evil villain by brute force. She overpowers him by getting him to repent, basically, by yeah. loving him and asking him to accept the truth. And, she, and he does and saves the world. So... <laughs> that's an unusual uh superpower love yeah. and truth yeah well i know that we've covered uh, a lot of stuff throughout the book is there anything else just top of mind that you want to make sure that we talk about or cover well i do want people to realize that what we're doing in here is the same thing the apostle paul did on mars hill it's the same thing that jesus did by telling fictional stories to put forth a true point we are just using the stories of today to direct people to the gospel and the truth, just like Paul and Jesus did. And uh, maybe it's not for everybody. No book is. But if you have any interest in the movies, any interested or, or you know people that are, the book Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God might be what you're looking for. So just check it out. The gospel is throughout the book. That's what it's all about, trying to point people to the truth. And there's many biblical lessons in the story, too. You wouldn't think there would be in Hollywood movies, but they're, they're one after another, you know, when you start looking at it, from Captain America to Iron Man to Harry Potter to Lord of the Rings to Star Wars, Batman, Wonder Woman. They all have moral biblical lessons in them that are more easily digestible when you see them on the big screen than if you're, you know, if, if you're going to give your kid another lecture, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's easier to have them see it on the big screen and talk about it than to say okay let's have another lecture on why you ought not steal or why you ought not 
follow your heart or why you ought not do X, Y, or Z, right? Why don't we just watch it and we'll talk about it? Yeah, this this might be too simplistic of a question, but, uh, you know, it might be easy to go, Frank, you know, you, you've done this, you've written a book, it's easy for you to see the themes in it, but what are some of the things that have helped you see the themes like the biblical and the Jesus-centered themes throughout these movies? Well, I think if you're familiar with the gospel story, if you're familiar with the, the gospels, a lot of these things will just pop right out at you. And it's always helps to have a co-author too, because some of the things <laughs> I've seen, my son didn't see, and some of the things I didn't see, my son did, right? And then, of course, you read what other people and listen to what other people have said about these movies. In fact, there's some really good YouTube videos on some of these movies you can watch yeah. that and I watch these YouTube videos. And, wow, I never saw that. <laughs> right. Yeah. In fact, one of the movies that we covered in there, a lot of people didn't like this movie. But, man, this movie had addressed more of the most difficult questions that every worldview needs to address than virtually any other. And it was Batman versus Superman, because that movie deals directly with the question, if there's a good God, why is there evil? Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, it's a very interesting movie in that regard. And so if you watch that movie and you read the chapter, it really comes from the Batman chapter, uh, where we talk about Batman and Superman and Hollywood heroes. When you read the chapter and then you watch the movie, you go, wow. Well, I, I saw a YouTube video where one guy went through that whole thing and pointed out so many parallels to the Christian story. I went, wow, I never would have caught that myself. But we put them in the book and referenced him. Yeah. Well, Frank, I know that people are going to, you know, want to get the book, Hollywood Heroes, keep up with you. Where's the best place for people to go to do all those things? Yeah, well, our website is crossexamined.org. So crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. Check that out there. There's also a little website for this book with a little video trailer. It's called hollywoodheroesbook.com, hollywoodheroesbook.com. And then we have links to all the places you can get it. Uh, you can get it on Amazon or, you know, wherever you get books, you can get it from us at crossexamined.org. Uh, and, uh, it's, it's a fun book, I think, and I think youth pastors can use it a lot. Uh, parents can use it a lot. Uh, and then people just interested in movies who want to be able to converse with their friends and relatives who otherwise might not be interested in Christianity. They might be uh, enticed a little bit if they can come, come at Christianity from a story they already like. Yeah. Well, Frank, thanks, thanks so much for being on the podcast today, and thanks for doing the work. Well, thank you, Caleb. Thanks for having me on. If folks would just check us out at crossexamined.org and also our YouTube channel, uh, two words, crossexamined. We also have a podcast called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist once a week where we provide a lot of evidence for Christianity and cross-examine ideas, ideas against it. So just check all that out. I just love having conversations just around these topics and we're going to keep having them around there. Just some of the different things that as I engage with different media and pop culture, some of the things that I'm taking away from it. So normally here, what I do is I give uh, some of my takeaways from the conversation. And I feel like we dived into a lot of that into the conversation. And I give uh, plenty of examples through, uh, through library episodes of different things that I'm currently reading. A lot of it uh, sometimes has to do with superhero stuff as well. And so what I want to do in this section instead is just give you some of the things that 
or some of the recommendations and I'll, I'll go through them quickly and I'm going to list a lot of them in the show notes of just places that I look to to get more information about uh, different things that are happening in the in the greater movie hero world as it pertains to engaging in uh, some of these topics and some of them uh, some of the uh, podcasts and stuff that I uh, that I'm going to recommend they are explicit as well so do just want to give you a heads up on that but some of them are or, you know part of the podcast and websites and stuff like that is like binge mode which is a podcast series that uh, you may be familiar with comic book herald as well has a lot of great stuff pop verse uh the ringer verse which is from the ringer is another one as well and i'll list a few others in the show notes as well so those are just some of the things that i look to to learn more about these things and to gain greater insight as well oh i did forget one and this is uh, a specific one but it's called uh, the Cerebro Podcast. It's an X-Men podcast. I love the X-Men. So if you love the X-Men, I highly recommend that as well. It does a deep dive into each character of the X-Men. It's a very long podcast as well, but it is very good in my opinion. So if you enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you, especially if you have any recommendations for content or people that you would love us to have on the podcast reach out to me at learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Please leave a rating and write a review on whatever podcast player you use that helps us uh, just spread the word about these conversations that we're having. And I think that's all that I have for today. I do want to say thank you to Sam Massey for providing the music for this podcast. Thank you to Frank Turek for being on the podcast. Thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason, and until next time, keep learning and keep growing.